Good morning, everybody. Happy game week and welcome to episode nine of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. Yes, that's right. I have a new Twitter account that is specifically for this podcast and all things Florida Gators. Again, that is at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. Of course, we have in all kinds of weather founder and lead writer, Neil Schulman with us today. You can follow him at all kinds weather. And we also have contributor Casey Hampton with us today as well, who you can follow on Twitter at champton85. Gentlemen, we finally have a football game this week to discuss. Be honest. Did you ever expect this day to come? No, I, I no, I didn't. I, I really didn't. At, at least not in 2020. L- literally, I, I did not think we would have football in 2020. Um, I mean, I, I was so certain that we would not have football in 2020 that I created a massive 256 player fan vote tournament to decide the greatest Florida Gator of all time. And my plan was to have it run from May all the way through New Year's Day. The whole idea of it was to keep fans busy and entertained through a football list season. And then all of a sudden, we see the SEC announce it's going to push back from the gate, so to speak, on September 26th. And I'm like, uh, uh-oh, we got a problem here. But it's a good problem to have because I'll gladly trade publishing polls on social media to content related to the game that Florida plays this week. And... So I'll just hold on to it right now. I'll, I'll freeze the tournament for a little while. And when there's a lull in Gator activity, the final four and championship round of that will go. But yeah, no, I didn't think we'd get here. And I'm thrilled that we are here. How about you, Casey? I am just so happy that we have football season. I mean, 2020 has been a dumpster fire from start to finish. So uh, I'm just happy that we actually have something to look forward to, <clears throat> something that isn't divisive and something that isn't negative or sad or tragic or terrible. Uh, this is something that we can celebrate and we can all be happy with. So uh, I'm super excited and uh, I get to go to the game. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. So I leave Atlanta on Friday and I go to Oxford. So uh, I am very much looking forward to that. Good stuff, man. How many people are going to be there? I they think announced- they said 11,000 or 12,000 people. I think um, it's not going to be, it's certainly not going to be crowded. Um, but on the bright side, uh, my seats are great. Well, so you will sort of experience the growth. I was planning on it. I, I had a whole thing planned. I was going to fly into Memphis. I was going to see some family there. I was going to drive down to Oxford, do the Grove. Nope, not going to happen. Probably get away another dozen years or so, unless the SEC decides to go to a nine-game rotation, which we talked about in our previous podcast. But anyway, assume they stay at eight. It's going to be another at least – eight, nine, or 10 years or so before we get the chance to go down there again, which is disappointing. But again, football is football. We're going to have it, which is greater than not having it. I agree. And Neil, you and I were talking a little bit earlier. And one thing that was brought up is the amount of people that are going to be in the stands for these football games is about the same amount of people that would attend the average basketball game in the SEC which is kind of mind-boggling to think about. When you're throwing around numbers like 11,000 and 17,000, that's that's about right for a basketball game. So 
hopefully. Oh, uh, and, and really, when it comes down to it, um, you know, Old Miss is going to have 25% stadium capacity. And really, at any capacity, we're still averaging more fans at our games than Miami has at one of their home games. It's true. This is fast. That is a true statement. Or FSU, really, as of late. Oh, they did sell a lot of seats for that first game. But they all saw them lose to Georgia Tech, so I can't imagine that they're going to keep selling out that many. Hey, shout-out to my employer, Ramblin' Rag. That's right. That's right. Casey is a proud employee of Georgia Tech. And I told Neil they were going to win, and he didn't believe me. He did. This is true. I'll I'll eat that on the air. Casey did try to sell me on that, and I said, you're you're insane. And, uh, nope, that happened. So, Casey looks quite sane right now. So, good for you, man. Yeah, good job, Casey. Again, it is so great to have the whole gang back together. Like, y'all, I can't believe we're here either. This has literally been the single longest offseason of any of our lifetimes, a full nine months. And we are so thankful to finally have an upcoming opponent to preview. And so we have a very special guest to mark this very special occasion. Before we bring that guest, though, Florida has released its depth chart for the season opener against Ole Miss. We've we've got our guest coming on in just a few minutes, so we'll keep this brief. Real quick. What do you guys think of the death chart? What surprised you and what stood out most to you? I think what really stuck out to me is, and I'm going to go with three things, one of which is positive and one of which is not positive and one of which could be neutral. I like the fact that Tony is playing a role on the death chart more so than he has before. It concerns me that DeLance uh, still listed as the starter on the offensive line. And I think the biggest surprise for me, and I really am taken aback by it, uh, is CJ McWilliams at the star position. I don't know what's going on there, but that certainly raised both of those raised eyebrows for me. But the third thing that I am really excited about Stone Forsyth being on the depth chart and seeing him on Twitter and seeing his how he's bulked up in the offseason. I think I read today that he was 360. And so, I mean, he's he's definitely bulked out. So I'm excited to see, you know, he's certainly had uh, a career that's been marred by injuries at Florida, but I'm excited to see how he has his full season. But DeLance and McWilliams on the depth chart certainly made me raise an eyebrow, but I hope Trey Dean performs well at safety this year um, in saying that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I, I make a clear differentiation between a surprise and a seismic shock when I say I don't think that there were any seismic shocks on the depth chart. I was surprised by a few things. I was surprised not to see Lorenzo Lingard's name. I was a little disappointed slash surprised to not see Brad Stewart or Kyrie Campbell listed anywhere on the depth chart. I don't really want to speculate about what exactly is behind their names not appearing on the depth chart anywhere. But the fact is that for one reason or another, they aren't there. And for one reason or another, that's disappointing. I think CJ McWilliams, a star was what surprised the most people. I will say that I think that was a semi surprise to me, but remember that that's a very difficult position for anyone to play. And it's got to take someone who fits into that role. Well, where he doesn't really fit in anywhere else. And apparently McWilliams has done well enough in fall camp 
at that spot where the coaches are saying, yeah, l- let's give him a trial run there. Let's just see what happens. I don't think he's sharpied in there by any means. I think he's, I think he's penciled in there for now, but so yeah, there were, there were a couple things that made me raise my eyebrows. Um, but I don't think there's anything that really threw me for a loop too much. Yeah, guys. And for those of you that are listening, if you haven't checked out the depth chart, it's uh it's on Twitter land. You can find it. I was most surprised to see Malik Davis and Damian Pierce kind of tied for the, for the, um, the starting spot. We coming into the off season, we kind of assumed that it would be uh, Damian Pierce clearly in the lead. Um, and then we also, of course, as mentioned previously, that Lorenzo Lingard would be on there as well, considering how, how, how fast he is, uh, all, the, all the buzz of him coming in as a five-star. But, you know, it does take time to learn an offense, and there's a lot more to running back than just taking the ball and going with it. You know, there's a lot of scheme and a lot of uh, blocking elements that the running back has to learn. So to a degree, it makes sense. I was just surprised. I will say Ethan White uh, was supposed to be starting on the line. Mullen today said that he is going to be back shortly, but he will not play uh, on Saturday. So hopefully um, he gets better soon. You know, certainly we we extend our good wishes to him and, and recovering from surgery. But, you know, we need him, I think, back sooner rather than later. But that's that's something if, if anybody wonders why he wasn't on the depth chart, that's why. So Ethan White, will he be the – left guard or will he be the right tackle he was uh i believe he was going to be um right guard um, right guard. so the starting offensive line is going to be tackles uh forsyth and delance uh, forsyth on the left and Delance on the right guard will be garage on the left Stuart reese on the right and that could be a good addition for us as well because he played for Demel at Mississippi State. So that could be really good. And we have a total of 99 starts on the offensive line. So I know that's been a concern, but I think, um, you know, we're going to get Ethan White back, um, but it just may look a little bit different in week one. Nice. So, Casey, that's, that's good stats. 99 starts on the offensive line combined, that's, that's pretty good. And we, it, we're definitely going to need to capitalize on that experience this year if we're going to have success and hopefully we can also maintain depth at that all important position at the offensive line. What's been a liability historically for us. um, I think this year can certainly be a strength because 99 starts in the offensive line in this league, especially when you're playing a 10 game only or 10 game conference schedule only plus a championship game. If you get there, um, that's really going to help. Absolutely. So with that being said, it's time for our feature presentation. Time to bring on our guest this evening. The moment y'all have been waiting for. I'm sure we even have some people from the Ole Miss camp coming in this podcast to take a listen. Our guest today was an absolute legend for Ole Miss. If you don't already know, he broke all kinds of receiving records there. And he also broke Gator fans' hearts with an 86-yard touchdown against Florida in the Swamp in 2008 a play that I so painfully remember witnessing. Currently, he's the head coach of Hillcrest Christian Academy and owner of Root Precision Academy. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge with us today. 
and he's here to talk about this Saturday's season opener between the Florida Gators and the Mississippi Rebels. Shay, thank you for joining us, and welcome to our show. Uh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. It's awesome to finally have you on, man. We've been friends for over a decade. I've interviewed you for a couple pieces before on the site, and we've talked plenty of ball throughout the years. So I know that you're an excellent interview subject, and I can promise you all listening that while he may have played for the bad guys, we're getting a really good guy on this podcast, and y'all are getting some great content. Before we get going, as usual, shout out to our partner organization, the Gator Good Foundation. This is sort of a crossover episode where we're appealing to two different fan bases. So for the Rebel fans listening to this, the Gator Good Foundation is a nonprofit organization that raises money to send underprivileged Florida fans to their first ever Gator game in the swamp. I think anybody who's ever been to the swamp, Florida fan or not, knows how special it is. And the sad reality is that not everybody has the means to get themselves to the swamp and live that special experience. So our job at the Gator Good Foundation is to make it happen for them. It's really an awesome thing to be a part of because in a time of such turmoil in our country, this is this is one of the few things that pretty much everybody agrees is just awesome. So anyway, quick update on the Gator Good Foundation. We have been doing this since 2018. This was going to be our third year doing this in a row but we have officially downgraded our chances from doing it in 2020 from doubtful to out. However, we are still working on a special care package to provide an underprivileged fan with this year to enhance their Gator experience virtually. And we are still looking for candidates to, to do this for this year, as well as candidates to take to a game when it becomes safe to do so. If you believe that you or someone you know has a story worthy of consideration, email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. That's GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. To learn more about that and to learn how you can help out, we encourage you to follow our social media handles, which are at the Gator Good on Twitter, at GatorGoodFoundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, shout out to our sponsor, Stingray Branding. These guys put a sting in your marketing and they will deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, I can give you all two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who put themselves in harm's way for our nation than by giving them business. And Two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a United States veteran. To learn more about the services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Now, we cannot say enough times how much we love our sponsors slash partners, but we're here for Shea Hodge. So before we get to our main discussion, we like to start off our pods with our guests with something called the lightning round that helps our listeners get to know you better. These questions were designed for Gator guests, so we had to tweak them a little bit for you as a Rebel. But anyway, this is Casey's segment, so I'm going to throw it over to him. First question is, uh, why did you become a Rebel? Uh, what, what made Ole Miss stand out in the process? Um, first off, it's where my um, childhood idol grew up. I mean, went to school and grew up. He's from Morton, Deuce McAllister, played for the Saints. So he's from Morton. He was my first inspiration to want to even play ball and think I can make it. Um, the second reason was you know, every receiver that played was a senior. 
And so I knew I would come in and play immediately, and I was all into uh, playing as a true freshman. And then the last thing, which is funny, the color. I like the color, red and blue. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Ed Orgeron was the was the head, or more than you were at Ole Miss. Ed Orgeron was the coach. What was he like as a coach? You know, considering he's back in the conference now. Man, he was amazing. You know, um, he would make you want to run through a wall. You know, I had a lot of love for him. He seen my talent. He was kind of like the Justin Jefferson story, the kid that was really good, but he was kind of underrated. Um, he seen me at camp. He fell in love with me, and um, when I came to school, he always treated me. And um, always told me how good I was. But, um, you know, it was a learning process for him, too, because he's so hard-nosed. He's like a sergeant in the military. So he had to learn how to back off of us a little bit, and um, that's what he's learned um, now. And he's um, getting all his success now because he's always a great coach, man. He just had to kind of try. Yeah, for sure. You know, I uh, <laughs> I always wonder what it would be like to hear him at, uh, at practice, you know, oh, the Rebels go down and they win the football game down there. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> God, I can't do that without like straining my my vocal cords. <laughs> so, you have wait wait Shay, do you have a do you have a good Ed Orgeron impression? Man, I actually well 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 okay. I running back um his name Cordero Easton. He was almost a five star coming out of high school, um, Meridian High School. He's my best friend, and he's always it's two of them. Like he always say like hey 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 big Steve. You ready to run that ball today, baby? <laughs> it, like, tickles your vocal cords to do it, though. I mean, that's – Like, Dexter McCluster, he had um, one day after practice, he had on some um, brown felines that all the players, we were ripping them about them. Like, they were so ugly. <clears throat> and Coach O was, um, we was going to class, we were all walking. And he happened to drive by, like, hey, Dexter, hey, baby, there's some nice shoes. Man, we died. He didn't know the ugly how they was cool looking. But they in, in our culture they was hideous. And so we just died forever laughing at them. Like I never forget. Oh wow. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, so there's a trend on Twitter uh where people tend to believe something is the best or the greatest or their favorite or you know, they'll capture what's the best XYZ and why is it one certain thing. Uh, the idea is the person is trying to convey that that is the obvious answer. So I'm going to go to steal that trend for this next question because we know what your answer is going to be. But what was your favorite win to be a part of in your four years in Old Miss? And uh, why was it the 2008 win in the swamp against Florida? <laughs> you get it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, it was definitely a win against Florida, the eventual national champs. One of the reasons why I was so special, man, because honestly – I wanted to go to Florida. That was my other school that I really, like, considered. Like, I really wanted, but I didn't get the offer. So, um, to play against those guys, I followed uh, recruiting real um, tough. And seeing all those guys that were rated real high and was um, clocked at fast times and stuff, they had a game winning catch against all those guys. Because I'm not going to lie, I was starstruck in a sense when we first got on the field with them. You know, to see Joe Hayden, Janoris Jenkins, Spikes, um, who was it, Dunlap. You know, all those, Tebow, Percy Harvey, like, to see all those guys out there, and then beat them, like play against them, because I'm a competitor at heart. Like, I'm like the ultimate competitor. So, you know, that's what kicked in once I got the plan. And for me to catch that pass, busted coverage, Major right didn't get enough with, and then for me to outrun them to the end zone and not get caught and hear the whole stadium get quiet. Like, it reminded me of the video game, because when we played y'all, we couldn't hear. Like, we had to get face-to-face -face, like the video game, like, and call to play, like, nose-to-nose. 
And so it was like our stadium not like this. So it was crazy. And now I'm like, man, it's just like the video game. And then for all of them to become silent when I scored, I like it must like it, I'm thinking I'm at home, like, you know, like it must be a penalty. But then I'm like, I'm not at home. So I'm like, man, that place stupid. that's place stupid. And so I'll never forget it. Always fans will never forget it, man. That's like one of the best memories ever in my life. And um, I always tell my kids and anybody that asks about football, my college football career about that. What uh, what went through your head when Tebow went for the fourth and one and you didn't get it? I'm not going to lie. You seen him convert that so many times? I was like, man, he's going to get there. We're going to have to stop him on down the line or something on third and, like, more yards. But for him to – when it happened, I was like – we all looked at each other like, he really didn't get that. And, like, we just went bananas. Man, we went crazy, you know. It was just – it's just our day, man, because I think we play any other time. I don't know. I'm not going to say y'all would necessarily just beat us because we had, we had a bunch of talent, but a lot of things went our way that game, you know. So I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, it was just it was just our day. For sure, for sure. Um, so as a sub-question to that, and, you know, we um, we you sort of alluded to that, but what was it like watching Florida win the national championship after you'd beaten them in the swamp? We loved it. We loved it because, you know, to be the only team that beat them, you know, that's special. You know, um, everybody, you know, the SEC is rigorous. You got to um, beat each other up. And um, only us being the one that, that um, defeated them, you know, it was like, we was like, man, that's kind of what let us know. Because we had came out with Vanderbilt loss right before you guys. And we know we didn't supposed to lose to them. And we had came out with two tough seasons back to back. And when we beat y'all, we was like, man. We could be really good. So we only lost to Alabama. Well, we lost to South Carolina, we lost to Alabama after that. But we didn't lose another game. So, you know, it catapulted us. You know, it let us know at the end of the year, like, man, we're going to be something special next year, even though we fell short of our goals. But y'all were the team that let us know, like, we got a bunch of talent, you know. Um, and we had a bunch of guys go to the NFL off that team also. And since Neil's the stat guy, I'm going to throw this to Neil real quick. How many games did that Tebow-led squad lose in the swamp between 05 and 09? Well, Tebow wasn't there in 05. But or 06, excuse me. In 06, they didn't lose a game at home. 07, they lost to Auburn. 08, they lost to Ole Miss. So, so one of two losses. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's somebody to be proud of, Shay. That really is. I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. So, that, yeah, that was definitely something to be proud of. Um, what was your favorite Ole Miss win to watch after your playing days were over? Um, I'm going to bet it probably involved Nick Saban. But <laughs> that's just going to be my guess. But uh, what, what, which one was it? And when we beat them, I think it was 2014. You know, we lost to them all four years. Played them tough, like, three out of the four years. And I was actually at that game. And to see them get over the hump, man, I felt like I was playing. Like, we went crazy, you know. Um, just to beat the big dogs of the conference, you know. We were considered, like, middle of the pack or, or yeah, middle of the pack on the bottom at times. Most, like, um, traditionally. Um, at least for um, since I've been watching, you know. So for us to be there when I was there my last two years, you know, at the top of the West and really at the top of the SEC, I think we was like third overall, like my last two years or, or third and fourth overall my last two years, at least third one year and then fourth one year. But anyway, to see them get back to that prominence, you know, being up there with all the big dogs, you know, that's that's a that's a proud moment, you know. And um, beating Nick Saban is just like beating Florida, man. Like when y'all had that run, y'all just had like, it was the same type of deal, man. And when you can get over the hump and beat somebody that good, let you know, like, your program is on the right path. So what was your favorite um, stadium to play in that wasn't Vaught-Hemingway? Or oh, for sure. Well, 
or created, but like Florida had to be the loudest for sure. Um, Y'all fans go crazy in there, man. They loud. But you know, my freshman year, Auburn was loud. LSU was loud. Um, shoot, my senior year against South Carolina, they were loud. It was shockingly loud. I was like, what? And we lost. We were number four in the nation, lost to them, had no business losing them. But they, the crowd played a factor in it. You know, crowd noise is huge, you know, not having it at Ole Miss. You know, you appreciate it with other schools, you know, um, seeing how it helps their team and uh, how it plays a factor into games. Yeah, for sure, for sure. South Carolina does get a little rowdy, so it, uh, I've been there a few times. Um, but this is the last lightning round question, and it's twofold. What's your favorite jersey combo for Ole Miss, both home and away? And as a non-Gator fan, what do you think Florida's cleanest-looking jersey combos are? Oh, uh, I have to say our cleanest jersey is the one we're going to wear against you guys, this baby blue and white. Uh, is it baby blue and baby blue they, top? I, they white? haven't revealed the pants yet, but it's uh, um, the powder the powder blue helmet and the powder blue um, jersey. They haven't re- revealed the pants yet. That is the clean. I don't care what pants they put on. I'm sure it's going to be white ones, or it may be all powder blue. If it's all powder blue, if it's white, it doesn't matter. Whatever combination they put with them, that's the cleanest one we got. But I love red. If I was to go anything else, it'd be the red with the white pants, um, with the red shoes. I like that. And um, Florida, really, man, I like the um, orange on orange. I really I like the too. orange. On- Nobody likes the orange on orange. No I one else the does. Orange on orange. I you love it, that. man. I- for loud colors. So, Does that have anything to do with the fact that we beat you guys by four touchdowns in those? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so. Love that. Um, you are the you are the first non-Gator to do the lightning round with us. It's always fun. It's always good to know our guests a little bit better. So with that said, though, <clears throat> let's bring the conversation to the present. And for the first time in nine months, we have a game to talk about this week. But there is one non-this-weekend question that I feel I have to ask you about. As Gator fans know, there's a guy named Duwan Black who's gone through quite the roller coaster ride to get to where he is today. Many people know the basics of his story, but you're a Mississippi guy through and through. You know him better than most, and you have some familiarity with him that I think our listeners would love to hear about. So I was wondering if you could give us a bit of an insider's look as to exactly who he is and what Florida's getting with him, both as a player and as a person. Um, yeah, man, I'm like the. The, the guy that like kind of quote unquote discovered that one, he's from the town right above, um, right down the street from me. Um, he came to me as a 10th grader, well, ninth grader going to 10. And um, <clears throat> I had just came off of getting this kid named Dee Dee Bowie recruited at Ole Miss, and he became a national prospect that I kind of revealed to everybody um, in 2000. I can't remember exactly the year, but anyway, that one came to me and was like, man, I think I could be that type of player too. You know, will you help me? And for a kid to ask me that in the most humble way, I was like, man, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I looked at him because <clears throat> I have this, like, God-given talent to um, project, like, see it and project what somebody would be. And I seen him, I, like, he was, like, 6'3 at the time, had a nice beard. I could tell what he was going to turn into. And, you know, I started just um, mentoring him, like, having him around me a lot, um, learning about him, learning about his family dynamics and everything. You know, and he came, his mom, um, God bless her soul, she has, like, six or seven kids. And, she, and she's a single mom, so she does her best to raise them as much as she can. You know, mostly only a man can teach a man how to be a man. <clears throat> you know, and I kind of stepped in that role with some other father figures in his life. Well, I, I would say like an uncle figure. I wouldn't say father. 
but you know, just showing them how to how to how to act, you know, how to do things and how to conduct themselves in the right way. You know, we all have our vices where we have to learn um, better ways of doing things that we naturally do and become better people. You know, and um, you know, we just we just hit it off, man. We always was together. I was always um, training them, um, teaching them. He stayed in my house a lot. You know. Um, and, um, you know, we played a lot of basketball because when I met him, he had slow feet. Like, he had very slow feet. He was always athletic. He could jump out the gym since he was young, but he was, like, kind of uncoordinated. And he used to play basketball. He would always want to play on my team. He couldn't walk with you bubblegum, but he could jump. <laughs> so I would never pick him or nothing. So then, you know, I just started playing basketball with him, and he's a great copycat. So he would watch me play. He would do the same things I did. And, like, I just seen him keep growing and growing and growing. I didn't really teach him, like, train him in football. Because I wasn't a DB, I was a um, well, I played DB in high school, but like I didn't know how to really train it, so I just did what I knew best, as in like teaching him ladder, like footwork on the ladder, you know, like getting his feet down faster and things of that nature, which um, helped him out tremendously, man. He had like 15, 16 picks this tenth right here. Um, I feel like that helped him a lot, um, and then you know going forward, you know, with his grades, he always struggled in school. And it's not because he's not smart or anything; it's just the fact he doesn't, he just won't take it. I ain't gonna say take it serious. You know, it's like me with math. I hate math. So when math come up, I don't want to do it. I'm like, I'm like, just shut it down. I don't want to do it. People hate to do things that they're not good at. And I try my best to teach them that you learn more from your failures than you do from what you do well. Um, you want to work on what you don't do well more than you do things that you do well. So he got in gear for a little while. You know, he gets um, – he loses um, enthusiasm pretty quick, um, especially when it comes to, um, like, school. So he struggled there, and, you know, he had to um, – Sent them, we sent them off to um, Florida to help him um, when his senior year came um, so he could graduate. They had some, like, accelerated programs that he can get into. But, you know, just him battling, man. He, he just battled. Like, you know, everybody has their flaws. But I have to say that kid's a warrior. He had his mindset on going to Florida with Mullen. Because he first was committed to Ole Miss. Well, he first committed to State. Then he committed to Ole Miss. Then he let go of that, and like when he met Mullen, like he just clung, he just clinged to him, and he like real life, he like real life love Dan Mullen, and like nobody can tear him apart from. Him. To this day, he still love that man to death, and the man has um always stuck by him. So you know, I'm all for it because like you know, I'm like the big uncle, the big big whatever you want to call it, the big bro, and um just to see him battle, you know, he he didn't qualify coming out of high school, then he had to go JUCO. And he's had his trouble at JUCO um, with grades, too, but he's still battling. And to this day, you know, he's like 15 credits short to graduate, and it looks like he's on pace and he's going to get it done. So, you know, I can't say how much I'm proud of him because I remember he didn't qualify to high school and he told everybody. Because he, he sets his goals high and he brags about him. He's a big bragger. I have to say that about him. And he makes people go against him don't like him. Like, if you for him, you like rooting for him. But if you're against him – it gives you nothing but ammo against him when he don't do what he's supposed to do. So when he didn't do it, he felt like the worst person in the world. He was down in the dumps. He thought like, man, my life over. And I think, Neil, you seen it on Twitter. I had told him on Twitter, which I told him the same thing in text me before I wrote it on Twitter since he wrote it on Twitter. I had told him, like, man, you're not the first to fail. You know, you learn more from your failures than you do your on um, what you do well. You know, this ain't going to teach you nothing but more character. <clears throat> you're going to come out of here as a better person. Because look at Cam Newton's story, who went to Florida and ended up having to go JUCO, and he went to Auburn. You know, um, like look at other people's story. I just showed him other people's story, and he picked himself up. And you know, right now he's the number one player in JUCO, which he's not playing this year. You know, he's gonna sit out to focus on his grades. But you know, 
you guys are getting the warrior. You know, um, he's still a kid. He's still going to make mistakes. He may make some wrong mistakes, you know, decisions now. But overall, you just know you're getting the warrior. A guy who won't give up for his goals. He set goals. He set high goals. And he um, strives to get them. I'm um, so proud of that kid, man. I love him to death. Yeah, man, that that's uh, some great stuff that you that you shared. Um, Dewan Black is is one of the most inspiring uh, players that I've had the chance to to follow coming out of high school and and to see what he's overcome and to see the impact that you've had on his life and to see that he's you know uh, based on what he's looking like right now he. He has a shot if he continues to develop to to get in the league, and you're gonna you're gonna know that when that happens that you had a part in that, and so uh, that's gotta feel pretty special. Uh, you gotta feel good inside, man. So let's oh, yeah. talk about your alma mater, Ole Miss. Obviously, you played on on an Ole Miss team that 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 beat the eventual national champion. You you had some success there, and. You know, Ole Miss has has beat the best team in the country. I mean, they've beat eventual national champions after that, too. They beat Bama. The year Bama won the national championship one of many years. But Ole Miss doesn't really look like that right now. So what I want to ask you about and discuss is your outlook on Ole Miss. What are your thoughts on Lane Kiffin? And do you think he's the guy – to get Ole Miss to the place that it was? As a team, I think he's walking into a gold mine. It kind of reminds me exactly the scenario that Coach Nutt walked into, you know, um, especially offensively. We have a lot of tools on offense, just like we did when my junior came, when Coach Nutt came, you know. Um, a lot of young talent. You got Jerry and Ely, you got John Rice Palmer, you got – you got Dennis Jackson, you got John Domingo, you got Elijah Moore. You know, you got a lot of talent out there. Um, you got a Snoop, Snoop Connor. Also, you got two backs, a good receiver. I mean, good receivers, two quarterbacks. You know, you got everything you need. The defense has to show up, but like overall, he's walking to a gold mine and he's an offensive minded guy. So I know he's going to use them to the best of their ability. And um, Lane Kiffin. Like, I, I watch coaches. Like, I knew I was going to be a coach after I got through playing. You know, I just had to get – want to get back to the NFL after the injury out of the way before I pursued it. I didn't want to cheat the kids. So, um, I always watch coaches. Like, be um, mesmerized by their, their um, philosophies, their success. Um, I go back to where they've been and see what they've done. And I just know how Lane Kiffin is, like, very strategic. Like, he very – he pay, he, his attention to detail is like none other. Like, it's just like Mullen. It's just like Nick Saban. He's on the level of those guys, you know, and to see him, um, you know, seeing the reports and seeing him grow as a person, you know, not being impulsive and saying things, doing things that he normally would do. I think he's um, geared for success at Ole Miss, you know. Um, him walking into that, all that talent, he'll know how to use it. I think he'll get us back on track. Um, it will all go with how he recruits. You know, if he recruits well, the Jimmys and the Joes will take up for the X's and O's. It's always it's saying it's so true. Um, you can have, If you have great players, your bout can call anything, but you can't just call anything to XT. But, you know, you can make bad calls and players will bail you out by being so good. So it'll all come down. Him as a coach and as, a, as an offensive mind and just and his strategics and his expertise, I'm all for it. He's perfect for the job. But it will come down to can he recruit and get the get the players that we need to compete with the Florida, Alabamas, the LSUs of the world, you know, um, 
and so forth and so on, that would be the ticker. That would be the thing that would hold us back. Um, so far, so good. He's doing decent in recruiting. Um, I do think we need to pick it up in recruiting to get on back on the, the freeze level, the, the um, Coach O level of, like, seeing the talent and getting it to the school. Um, there's a lot of talented kids in Mississippi with me coaching um, 707 and knowing all the kids, you know. Um, there's a lot of talented kids to get out of the state of Mississippi because you got to start with your state. If you don't win your state, it's kind of tough to win it any other way, you know. Um, and my class came in in 2006. We was ranked, like, I think 15 or 16. And in the top – out of the top 25 players in Mississippi, like 18 of them went to Ole Miss, or like 16 of them went to Ole Miss, so more than half went to Ole Miss. So you got to get them out of band together and know, like, hey, man, we're going to do this together, and we're going to do this for our state first off. And um, then you go out and you sprinkle and get the good kid, get a good kid or two from Florida, or three or four from Florida, or good three or four from Georgia, Texas. You know you got to do it that way. Me watching that also, I watch recruiting real tough. And I talked to Coach O a lot, you know, and he told me the philosophy, like, man, you got to win your state. That's first off. And uh, I really don't feel like we're winning our state right, right now, and I think he will. He will start back. I mean, he will get it going and figuring out who to get and who not to get, um, using resources and trusting the right people that know the talent, that see them every day. You know, um, I think we'll get on board, and I'm hoping we'll get on board because um, I'm Ole Miss through and through. I love the SEC, but, you know, that's my alma mater. Like, I want us to be good, too. And I think, you know, you mentioned about, you know, owning your state, you know, and I think that Dan Mullen's done an incredible job with that in Florida, you know, closing down. We're going to keep the Florida kids here. And obviously the chump in Athens has done that too with, you know, locking down, you know, Georgia recruits. And obviously Saban did that when he was at LSU um, and he's done that at Alabama too. So, you know, that's that's a really good point that you bring up, that you have to win your state first and then move out from that. So I just want to bring that point. That was a really, really good point. So with that said, Shay, I think we've got the table set for this matchup. We have a program that you said, you know, he walked into a gold mine in terms of talent, but the results aren't there because the job just came open last year and, and the job came open for a reason last year. And that was because Ole Miss had a lot of problems and I'm not – so certain that anyone can fix that in one year. But on the other side, we've got a Florida program that's a top-tier program that should be competing for national championships. There, there is the Georgia issue. We, we can't beat them. But the general consensus is that we're close to that stage of being able to compete for titles every year. And so that sets the stage for a game where Florida is favored, not just on paper, not just on Vegas, but – pretty much in the eyes of everybody outside of the city of Oxford. But as you know all too well, that can mean anything or that can mean nothing at all. The one thing that Ole Miss does have on Florida is that Florida has zero film whatsoever on what Elaine Kiffin Ole Miss-led team is going to do. So how do you think Kiffin and his staff are going to try to exploit that, both mindset-wise and X's and O's-wise? Knowing him, you know, from his past – I know we're going to have a nice game plan, you know. Not having film is a great thing for us. So, you know, it comes down to that um, you got to believe thing. It's kind of like us when we played y'all coming off. I think it was, you know, um, we were the only one who believed we could beat y'all. Nobody in the world thought we would win. So it's kind of like that that mantra we had to take on. Then, um, Coach, you got to get them to believe. You just go out there and play one play at a time, you know, one quarter at a time, you know, um, band together. We at home. Didn't have to deal with no crowd or anything, even though it's not a crowd. <laughs> but, you know, um, you got a lot of things in your favor other than 
tradition as far as like last year. Let's just use last year. Them not one team being good last year and the other team not. You know, um, so you know, just like you said, any given Saturday you can lose, you know, the records and Vegas and everything doesn't matter on Saturdays, you know, you just gotta come out and believe and you know, I know you guys root for your guys and I'm gonna root for my guys and you know, um if it doesn't happen, you know, I'm okay with it. It's kinda like a win win for us if we lose, you know, it's kinda, hey, how good did we do? You know, um, if we win, we throwing a party. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's kind of like it's 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 a bad spot for y'all. But you know, when you pick the win, you know, only thing you got the only thing you got to lose is to lose. So you know, um, overall, I'm just hoping for a great game, um, just a great contest, and uh, made them the best team win. So, Shay, I wanted to ask you about the current group of Old Miss receivers, particularly Elijah Moore. Florida's gonna have to put either Marco Wilson or Kyir Elam onto Elijah Moore. So I have a multi-part question for you. Who do you think wins the majority of those battles? And aside from Moore, what other skill position players do you think Florida should be worried about in this matchup? I do know Elijah Moore, and I know um, that's what I do for a living is train receivers or train kids and special receivers because I play the position. That kid really has it. Like, uh, it's kind of like in one-on-ones in practice. People always say, oh, it's built for the offense to win. Well, I'm going to go with it on this. <laughs> like, that kid's skill level is so high, and he's so competitive. Like, I, I don't know if anybody can guard him one-on-one. Like, literally, like, 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10 is going to win, in my opinion, because he's just – you can tell someone has taken his time with him and taught him a lot of things on top of his God-given ability. Um, another receiver that's um, proven – well, he's not really proven. He's done decent his freshman year. They had a nice influx of fr- freshmen that came in, Jonathan Mingo and Dennis Jackson. Two Under Armour All-American receivers that came in. Um, I think Braylon um, Sanders is still there also. We got some nice young talent, but, you know, we played a Rich Rod offense last year. No disrespect to Rich Rod, but it's a run-first offense. It's like 80-20 run probably. These guys can really play. You know, I coach them in 7-on-7. Seven seven. We go around the nation playing against all the guys. You know, they probably played each other in 7-on-7, seven seven, the guys from Florida. So, I've seen him do some – those kids do some amazing things. So, Jonathan Mingo is one. The other one is Dennis Jackson. Like, if, if, if the passing system is anything like I expected to be, I expected some big-time plays. Right, let's go forward. Jerry Ely came out of Jackson Prep, under our model American, 4-3 speed. Like, the kid is the truth. Um, he had a nice freshman season. I think he was freshman All-American. And he had a counterpart that was a freshman also, which is um, Snoop Connor. I didn't expect a lot out of him. Like, he did. Like, he's – it's like um, Clemson had with uh, Thunder and Lightning with um, James Smith. I don't know, James um, – what's his name? Dang, P.J. Spiller and James – what's his name? Nah, I don't James know. Davis. That's it. Who? James Davis. Oh, James Davis. Thunder and Lightning. So, that, yeah. that's – have that dynamic also at Old Fitz because Ely is really fast and uh, what's his name? Uh, Snoop Connor is really big, bounces off tackle, and he takes it to the house all the time. So – you know, we have all the dynamics. Like, if we hit on all cylinders, it could be a great game because um, I don't know if we'll be able to stop anybody because there's not many cemented names on the defensive side, but offensively we could be really special. Florida has two, at least two, future NFL cornerbacks, at least two, probably more, but 
two right off the top of my head that I can say are definitely going to be pros in Marco Wilson and Kyer Elam. One of those guys is going to be put on Elijah Moore, and you're the, you're the guy that coaches receivers. You were receivers, so you know the X's and O's of that position best. Um, Kyer Elam is a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. So for Elijah Moore, what do you think the key is to creating some separation against him? Quickness. Um, short area quickness. Overall quickness. Um, it's one of the biggest reasons why receivers struggle when they get to the NFL because you got to have that key component. Like you hear people say, oh, he's not even fast. He got that key component of having um, short air quickness. He has to have it to be able to get open or knowing how to use your body, you know, bodying people up. But in the NFL, it's hard. Like it doesn't really work as well. Um, Elijah Moore has that key all day long. Like I love to watch him play in practice. Play in practice. When he posts film, I love it. When I watch him train, I love it. Um, he has a lot of quick twitch ability. There's a lot of guy giving quickness, man. And um, the kid is special. Um, that's going to be a nice battle to hear that y'all got a corner like that because I think Elijah Moore is a, is a, draft, um, is a draft pick also. So if we're looking at the bigger picture, Shay, what should we be prepared for in your opinion? What do you think is going on in the Florida practice this week? I, if I'm the other team, if I'm y'all, I'm focusing on John Rice Pumley um, and Jaron Eadley. They was out, out really our only offense last year, you know, running the ball. But, you know, um, not knowing Lane Kiffin won't do the exact same thing is, gives a different dynamic, though. You know, it's like, well, you go and look at FAU. What was it, FAU or FIU? FAU. Yeah, FAU. You go look at their film and you go over, like, you know, certain runs that they ran there. You know, the past concepts that they ran, um, their play-action packages and whatever. I think you have to prepare a lot, you know, for both. Because I'm sure Kiffin will use some of what Rich Rye used from last year because, you know, um, if he starts or plays John Rice, you know, using the run game with the quarterback and then um, looking at the pass and stuff that they did with uh, FAU and his previous schools. So, you know, he had a lot to prepare for in a sense. Like y'all said, it's pretty, it's pretty sneaky. And um, the other thing, like, we got some dynamic players, like some players that can really, like, take it to the house, you know. Like I said about Ely, John Rice, the three backs in the backfield can take, including the quarterback, the two backs and the quarterback has real time, like, real game speed, like, really fast. Um, Elijah Moore has real big-time speed along with Dennis Jackson and Jonathan Nego. Um, Game time-wise, I don't know how much fast Miles better in the game. I haven't really seen it. But I know on his time 40, he's in the 4-4 range, you know, 4-4-5, I think I've seen. So he got to just put him in the dynamic range, too, even though you haven't seen him in the game yet, but you got to put it in there. And, uh, Marcus Gregory is, pretty, is very solid, too, along with Braven Sanders. So, you know, um, I would be prepared just to be, you know, play him evenly, you know, play him, play him even, you know, like, hey, play him like you would play, I guess, LSU. Well, my my next question is sort of a lightning round question. What do you think is the biggest strength for the Rebels, the biggest weakness, and the biggest question mark? Biggest strength, dynamic players. That's the biggest strength, like um, being able to one-strike you. Um, biggest weakness, I would say the D-line and the D-line depth for sure, and the whole defense, honestly. I would say that's, that'll be our Achilles heel. I know I guess you have to use all three phases of the game. I would say special teams. How good are we going to be on special teams? Who knows? You know, I, I can't even remember last year what we did on special teams, so I know I ain't going to know what we're going to do this year. Well, you, you know, it's uh, that that was what made 20 or 2008 so shocking because Urban Meyer was a special teams guy. 
Um, and we had a number of, of lapses that day um, when you when you all played at, at, at the Swamp. So special teams, I think it's it, – I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be, I think, a, a key to the game. Yeah, man, I agree. I mean, I think it's that's going to be one of the most intriguing matchups of the game, him and, and Kyrie Elam or Marco Wilson, depending on how, how the field is lined up. Just a quick question I, I want to I ask you. Uh, of all the corners that you've had the opportunity to go against and match up on, maybe it was a man-to-man or, or something, what matchup would you say was the funnest to be a part of and go, and go up against? I have to, I'll say first, um, it got to be um, – I would go with Joe Hayden. You know, um, we just got we on the floor of the game now. You know, Joe, Joe Hayden and uh, Janoris Jenkins. Uh, those guys, you know, you, I knew about them in recruiting, how highly ranked, um, talented they was coming out. Um, also, for sure, Patrick Peterson at um, LSU. That was a great matchup. And I just wanted to test my skills out for sure, being a competitor, just see how did I match up against them. You know, seven catches, 117 yards and a touchdown. All seven catches wasn't on him, but there was a nice few catches on him. You know, I beat him in, when he was in man coverage. Um, also, you know, going against the Alabama corners with Kareem Jackson and uh, Javier Arenas, and you know, um, just all the man. Sh- I played a- against a bunch of <laughs> first and second round corners in my days, and you know, I always tell people like it's underrated. But like, man, if you really look at it, if I don't get hurt, like I just see a, a big time career in the NFL because I went against all those guys already, and those are was some of the top corners in the NFL now. So I always tip my hat to myself. You have to give yourself a little praise, you know. So every team we play, even like um, in South Carolina, the guy that's on Stephen Gilmore, he was at safety, but played against him also. You know, I didn't have a great game against him, you know. Um, still, you know, just holding your own against those guys and being a competitor, man, it's, um hats off to them for being great players and working on their crafts. And they just solidify how much this little country boy from Moore, Mississippi worked on his craft to be um, a great receiver in my own right, um, leading the entire SEC. So all the corners really get respect for me, but if I'm going to name a few, it's going to be definitely be the LSU, the Alabamas, and the Florida corners. Like, those guys are great. I don't think Georgia – we only played Georgia like once or twice, and it was early on in my career when we wasn't really passing the ball. So I didn't get – I forgot who was there, but I, I remember them having some good corners also. If you went against someone at Georgia, I think it probably would have been Asher Allen. There, that, right? Yep. Okay. Man, you remember – Extremely weak. <laughs> yeah, Neil. Uh, Neil is an incredible talent when it comes to remembering players and plays. I mean, he's he's literally a living encyclopedia. It's it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, though. I will say it's not all fun because sometimes I will like not every night, but like you know, every now and then I will have a nightmare about you running onto the R of the Florida script in the end zone because i remember you <laughs> took two steps across that blue r the right side of the r like you can picture a capital r right so, you know like it's the, the florida script has like two blocks of it sort of and you just ran across the right side of it and you nod your head you're like yeah you're turning away <laughs> yeah it's um it's fun to remember um, things when they're more pleasant for sure i will say this you have a very a very unique position not just as a former player but also as a coach in how you see the game and it's just amazing to hear your perspective on the matchup of wide receiver versus corner 
kind of moving on, man, we're, we're in it now. It's game week. And so you're officially our first guest to be a part of the verdict. And what this is, is we're just going to get your thoughts in the game. We're going to have a round table. Shay, you're the guest. So we're going we're gonna to have you go first. What do you think the key is to the game? Keys to the game is limit turnovers. You got to control the clock for the most part. You know, protect the ball. Don't turn it over. Um, you know, also special teams. Like special teams is like the biggest factor that people don't realize. Like not making mistakes on special teams and making our field goals, you know, having good punts and et cetera. Um, but, you know, it's going to come down to making dynamic plays, you know, um, big plays over 15 yards. It's like any game. You know, we're about to make some plays that we expect to beat you guys because y'all are a talented team. Um, and limiting the big plays. And the one – I think the biggest factor is coming up with a trick player too. You know, a player too that you guys just ain't prepared for. And we being able to hit that play on you guys to get us a quick point or, or a big-time first down we really need or something in, in a critical moment. There's always um, situations in the game that, that turn the tide either to you or away from you. And we got to control that and make that happen if we expect to win that game because, quote, unquote, we come in over overmatched in a sense. But um, you got to be able to turn the tide in your, in your favor early and often. I've been circling this game as a trap game all offseason long for Florida, not just because of the history of Florida not playing well against either team from the state of Mississippi, not because of what you did in 2008. No, it's because Florida has this irritating history of just not tackling in season openers. And now they haven't been doing tackling drills from December 30th in the Orange Bowl against Virginia all the way through July. And Florida fans love making fun of Miami. And I'm not excluded from this statement. We, Florida fans, love to mock Miami for being the third best team in the South Florida Metroplex because they lost to FIU, who lost to FAU. So they are the yeah, – until until they – yeah, Shay's making a face right now. For those of you – yeah, because y'all, y'all are going to listen to this instead of seeing it. But Shay's making a face like, when I said that. But and, and then they lost 14-0 to the technicians of Louisiana in a bowl game, a walk-ons bowl game, literally the walk-ons bowl game. So it's fun making fun of them, but what gets lost is that Florida almost lost to them last year and probably was one or two mistakes away from losing to them last year, in part due to some offensive miscues, but also because they just could not tackle. And the thing is, Ole Miss has guys who can make plays. Also worth noting is that Ole Miss has not had any more reps at tackling than Florida, and both teams have lots of athletes. Florida's got Kadarius Toney, Damian Pierce, Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Pitts, and so on and so forth. Ole Miss has got Elijah Moore and John Rice Plumley, Jerion Ely is another big-time playmaker. So the Rebels have some skill position guys too. Maybe not as many as Florida at that top tier, but they do have several. So for me, the key is which team tackles better in space and does a better job of limiting the other team's athletes to four-yard gains instead of 40-yard gains. I think it's going to be how the offensive line plays. It's going to be how the offensive line can adjust and how the offensive line can create space for Damian Pierce and Naquan Wright to make running plays happen. Um, I also think we're going to need a running back to catch 
the ball, a la like what P. Ryan did last year. I don't know who that's going to be, but the offensive line is going to be key to this game. Uh, I think it's going to be, especially against a defensive line that even Shea mentioned for Ole Miss that isn't as sturdy. I think this will be a good test and a good way for the Florida offensive line to get their feet wet. I think they have more combined starts than the Ole Miss defensive line. I think the game will be won or lost there. And I will give you a bold prediction. I think Kyle Trask throws for 350 yards. Those are excellent points. I just want to say that, number one, I agree with you guys. Tackling is going to be super important in this game, especially coming off of COVID and none of these schools having a spring. I really think that the team that tackles better, the team that eliminates turnovers, and the team that can create explosive plays uh, is a team that's going to win the football game. So uh, let's go to dive into picks. This time we're going to hold Shay until the end and sort of save the best for last. So, Neil, you can go first here. In our season preview episode with Ben Troop, you predicted a 35-24 to 24 Florida win. Are you still sticking to that, or has your opinion changed at all since that last episode? Well, I've made no mystery about my worry level of this game all offseason long, and it's not exactly going away as the game gets closer. A couple of disclaimers. One, sorry, Shay, I do think Florida is more talented. They should win the game. And two, I do think that Florida is better suited to face this Mississippi team in week one than they are later in the year, as Chris Doring said on our podcast a few shows ago. So I'm going to stick with my overall prediction on how the game goes from our season preview episode, but change the numbers slightly. I think this game is going to be terrifying for three quarters for Florida. I think it looks a lot like Miami last year. I think Florida moves the ball well enough. Maybe they'll turn it over once or twice to slow them down. But on the whole, I think the offense will do its job. I also think Ole Miss will do the same thing. Between my tackling worry and the fact that Kiffin almost definitely has something up his sleeve that Florida hasn't seen on tape before, the Rebels are going to put up some points. At the end of the day, I think that that Miami sort of comparison is going to deviate after the third quarter and Florida is going to pull away in the end because it's very difficult to rationalize picking the team on the short end of such a wide talent gap. So I think Ole Miss puts a scare into Florida. I think maybe they even have a lead in the fourth quarter, but I'll say Florida pulls away in the final 15 minutes and wins 34 to 20. I think just given the unknowns of this season, um, the lack of spring practice, I think given they have a new head coach, um, all of that can either work for or against us, but there is no reason that Florida should lose this game. None. Right. Agreed. There, there is no discernible reason why they should lose this game. No, I think Kyle Trask will throw for 350 yards. I do think he'll have a pick and I think it'll come early. I think Ole Miss will probably go up first We'll settle down. I'm going to say 38-21 Florida. Hmm. 38-21, three-score again. I think Florida's going to win. I don't think it's as much of a trap game as it would have been where it was on the schedule. Just like I think the Florida-Tennessee matchup hurts Florida because it's late in the year. 
I think that it helps Florida versus Ole Miss that this game is early in the year. I think this will be a confidence booster for the offensive line. So, Casey, I, I would have to agree with you, but I would also say that, you know, your your point is your key's important, but your key's also something that's probably going to come to pass because I – I'm not worried about – there's a lot of defensive lines that I'm worried about this year. Ole Miss is not one of those defensive lines. I'm going to go in the same vein of Neil and say that the Gators are going to pull it out. It's going to be frustrating. They're, they're going to give up some, some points early, and I'm going to say the Gators win 41-31. to 31. Okay, so I've got 34-20 Florida. Dustin's got 41-31 Florida. And Casey's got 38-21, Florida. Shay, we saved the best for last. Will it be a clean sweep across the board of guys picking Florida on here? Or are you going to stand up for your alma mater and pick the Rebs? I'm going 31-28, Ole Miss. I just think we're going to make some big plays. Even though you guys are talented, I just – I don't know. It's just um, my belief. <laughs> I'm going to keep the faith that we're going to make, that we're gonna be able to score some points. I think we'll get a special team score. You know, I'm hoping for the best. You know, um, that's my school, you know. So, and I can't – I just can't give y'all listeners and you guys the, the satisfaction of me picking you guys. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to go with us. I'm going to say 31-28. The guest picker has to make his audience happy. We get that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, that's that's excellent, Shay. And if, if Ole Miss – was to win or if Ole Miss wins this game, then that's probably going to be the kind of score that it would be. Um, it, it very well could be a shootout, especially with teams getting acclimated to uh, playing ball and, and, uh, and not having the quite the off season that, that teams are used to with, with spring ball and all that goes into that. So Shay, thank you so much for coming on. You you have a, a very unique perspective, and you're going to be live tweeting the game. I, I hope you, I hope you're able to shout us out, and uh, we'd be happy to carry this conversation to Saturday. What do you think about that? <clears throat> that sounds like a good deal to me, man. I'm up for it. Um, I'm supposed to be at the game, so for real, that's a cool. Neil been yeah. my guy all the time since MySpace, right? <laughs> Yeah, oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. We've been we, we've been we've been friends since. Uh, I think we actually became friends like right after, right after you broke my heart with that eighty-six yard touchdown pass. That's I think amazing. That was, uh, yeah. No, we've been talking ball since then. Maybe it was then. I don't even know how we found. How did we find each other? That's crazy. So I was a freshman in high school then. I was actually a GA. Well, no, I was a freshman, so not graduated. But I was an assistant for my high school football team, working on special teams, which is cool, but. I really wanted to move to the offensive side of the ball. And at the time, my high school team had a full-time wide receivers coach who said that he'd let me shadow him and learn from him. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could before starting that role. So one day I just hit you up on Facebook Messenger and started talking the X's and O's of the wide receiver position. And this is like a week or two after you just roasted us. So the wound was still very fresh, but you know, I thought if I'm going to learn more about the position, might as well learn it from the guy who just made the play of the year so far in college football. So anyway, yeah, you answered me. We started talking ball and that was that. 
still means a lot that you took the time to talk to a then 14-year-old kid that you didn't know. Don't think either of us ever envisioned it turning into such a long-term friendship like this, but it says a lot about you that you were willing to do that. And you know, all those years later, I'm very grateful for my ability to call you a friend, even if you are one of the bad guys, so to speak. Oh, yeah, appreciate it, man. Hey, you're, you're a good guy. Well, that's all we've got for y'all on this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you enjoy our show, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow and develop. Special thanks to Shea Hodge. You can follow him on Twitter at ShayHodge3. Again, that is at ShayHodge3. Shay, good luck to y'all this weekend, and thanks so much for stopping by. Right, no problem, man.